Rick Madison, Rick and Friends. Hey, uh, thanks for listening. And today we have someone who uh, you probably you probably know his name. Starts with a chef, ends with a Travis, and uh, we adore him on the show because uh, he gives us insight into the culinary world, the magical, tasteful, delicious culinary world, full of yumminess. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about. We've got some culinary classes that uh, they're starting to offer down at Lake House. Sorry for letting that uh, out of the bag. But the other part is it's January. So welcome to the show, Chef Travis. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to drop some culinary knowledge on those maybe less fortunate in that category. <laughs> I do. Appreciate, I'm one of those, actually. Um, I want to talk a bit about... Uh, we're, we're going to get into the January stuff because I, I do want to pick your brain about, you know, maybe some, because people want to lose some pounds, they want to get healthy, but we're not going to do it in the horrible way of like, we're not doing kale and crap like that. Mm. Like we're going to do it in a fun way. But the other part I want to talk about is your, your actual journey is kind of interesting in the sense of the chef's life, because let's talk about, you were French trained. That's correct, yep. So Red Seal Chef. Red Seal Chef spent the first part of my career climbing the corporate ladder, uh, opening restaurants in different areas across Canada uh, before settling down uh, into the hotel and resort industry uh, where I ran multiple restaurants, different styles, fine dining, breakfast, pubs, golf courses, catering, um, and all the craziness that comes along with that. So give me a snapshot because a lot of people don't understand, like you just list that off like it's no big deal. But I know you've had actually to plan for four weddings at one particular time. Yeah, absolutely. The best example and the biggest scope is when I was executive chef and and food and beverage director for Elkridge Resorts in Waskasu. I worked every single day for three years and that's (laughs) breakfast, lunch and dinner. You'd wake up at six in the morning. You'd make sure your breakfast team is ready to go. You'd go follow over to the uh, the golf clubhouse, make sure they're ready for lunch, and then there may be two or three weddings or something in the afternoon up there. Waskasu is kind of like the Banff of Alberta. It's kind of where the the flatlanders go to escape the the flat land and get into the boreal forest. It's a beautiful part of the world, but uh, lots of weddings, sixty weddings in a year. Um, so yeah, two, three, four, sometimes in one in one night. Wow, like that's phenomenal. It's lots, yeah. Now, when you when you're doing all that stuff, do you realize you're in it? Like, do you realize the grind you're in and and the the arduous nature of the schedule? Like, I mean, I'm being uh, d- diplomatic here, but but that's a grind, man. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's something uh, a chef just gets used to, or or something that a chef just steps up to the plate and knowing that they have to do, but. In the moment when you're doing a 12, 14, 16 hour day and literally running from one place to the next, it's just kind of a part of the gig. I mean, once you sit down after work or afterwards, it's uh, you realize how, how tough it may be, but uh, you do it all again the next day. So I, I heard a story over the holidays and it was by a mother who was talking about her son who is now a landscaper and he was a Red Seal chef. Because he was standing outside having a cigarette, and and one of the sous chefs that he was working with said, "Man, that it's it's crazy." He says, "I'm so glad I'm going to be doing this landscaping gig in in uh, the summer." And the guy says, "Tell me more about that." And he shifted because mm-hmm. he said he could not believe the pace, 
And I, I wonder if, if the culinary program, like if, if people know that going in, that that pace is just going to be that hectic. Mm-hmm. Like do, do a lot of people understand that or, or are they set up for that? Like, and, and of course we're, we're speculating, but yeah. I don't know. I think, I think perhaps it is shifting. It's not like the old days where you go in and, and the chef is just swearing and yelling and hucking things at you and, I mean, there still is that camaraderie of the, it's kind of like being in the army. It's the, the brigade of such, you report to, to the next person up, but I don't think it's quite as rough and tough anymore just because people don't put up with it anymore and they don't have to, right? So I think there still is that, 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 uh, that fallback or that, that basis of head down, it's hard work, we know it. We're working when everybody is off enjoying their time. There are hot things and fire and sharp things and people yelling at you and, and it's just a kind of a part of the a part of the show and, and if you love it then you love it um, but for somebody on the outside you may think that those people are crazy because it's adrenaline too totally yeah and it's a rush I would think yeah and it's also an art you're creating things and uh, for other people um, and whether it's how the plate looks the textures or the flavors and how it all comes together and and how it makes somebody feel it's uh, yeah it's hard to kind of describe but it's pretty uh, wild. Anthony Bourdain, I mean, obviously there was some, some mental illness and there was a lot of unpacked stuff there. Mm. But he alluded to it a few times uh, on the show of just the life of the chef. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was, uh, it's romanticized for sure. But he was also talking about how tough it was and how that you have deadlines, you have a constant that the next plate is really the only thing you're thinking about. You're mm-hmm. not thinking about now, you're thinking about the next. And and he just talked about, you know, it's obviously amazing life, mm-hmm. but it's it, it takes a lot from you. Uh, for sure, I would, I would agree with that. Again, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to, to handle it. I remember one situation, I was in the middle of a rush, and I was what's what's called an, an expo or an expediter, making sure all the plates are looking good and put together and, and finishing the plates and... And I took a pencil and I always kept one behind my ear and I stabbed it directly into my eye to the point where it just stood there. And I just ripped it out and there's nothing I could do. I just closed it up, finished up service um, because I needed to be there. And uh, there, there are many times that that has happened, whether it's a burn or a cut or you grab a hot fry pan out of the oven and it literally boils your skin on contact and you just Keep going. suck it up and push through. <laughs> <laughs> and you just throw your cape back on and get back up there. <laughs> the way you go, yeah. Um, and the, the reason I bring that up is I know that you you were really looking for to stay in the space, but you really wanted something that was going to be sustainable. So, mm-hmm. so Lake House came mm-hmm. as a result of that. Just mm-hmm. explain what led you into this role at Lake House. Yeah, I think for me, um, it was it was just such a perfect transition um like i said i did my time in the corporate world and and uh and and why i got out of that was is because i wanted to create my own menus and and pursue the art of of creating and writing recipes and such um but after a while uh yeah it gets it gets old and it's not sustainable again you're working weekends and holidays and birthdays and christmases and and uh, you just literally don't have time for for yourself let alone even thinking about starting a family or or moving forward in your life so 
when I met Ben and Sue at Lake House, um, just the quality of, of the product and, and their demeanor uh, and just the whole shift of wanting to transform that retail store into a, an experiential experience where someone can come in and they can talk to a chef and really get deep and know the depths of why would they purchase a stainless steel frying pan versus a non-stick versus a cast iron and and how we can kind of help them through that journey uh, and just give them a better understanding so for me i think it was a great transition and we've done a lot of good work towards creating a new kind of culture my sales team is mostly consists of red seal chefs and bakers and sommeliers and bartenders and and the last thing i want to do is to pull people out of the food and beverage industry i have a, a lot of respect for it but at the same time, I want to be able to offer somebody more of a sustainable life and 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 give them the the thought that you can still work with food and share that passion and ignite that in others, but you're not behind the stove 16 hours a day every day. I think that's the cool part about that is it's a bridge. You know, you can still have that passion for it, and you can still live through the, you know, through that next person who's trying to build uh, a better menu and and build a better kitchen for their own home. And so there'd still be a little bit of that buzz. Like, do you still get an mm. adrenaline push from, I mean, not obviously at that at that level. Mm. It would be like an NHL player playing beer league. I mean, but for the most part, does it give you a little bit of a rush to know that you're helping somebody create a, you know, better tools for the kitchen and better meals as a result? Yeah, no, for sure it does. And, and it comes back to just um, having that confidence in my experience and people trusting me. People walk into the store and... And uh, they pretty much give me the reins in what they're purchasing. They want the best cookware. They say, I don't know too much about it. Hook me up with the best cookware and we'll walk through kind of what, first we'll start at what kind of foods do they cook and what cookware is best suited for their their household and their style. From there, we'll narrow it down and be able to, um, again, just kind of ignite that passion for cooking, which is something that everybody has to do, whether you like it or not, and you might as well make it uh, enjoyable. So what, what are people lacking? Like if you were, say, a top three mm-hmm. in, in the kitchen, like if you were to walk into most people's kitchens, they want to be better. Mm-hmm. They want to build better meals for maybe themselves or the family or entertaining. Mm-hmm. What do they suck at? Like what, what, do, what tools do they not have? First, the first, there's like just the physical aspect of having the proper tools, having one sharp knife and a, a sharp knife that you maintain the edge on. Everybody has a honing steel with their knife. That's that silver rod that mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen in the knife set. A lot of people think that's a thinks that's a knife sharpener. It's not. It literally just hones the burr at the end of the blade to make it sharper and make the edge last longer. Having a good knife, having good cookware, that's the first step. Uh, the second is just is just uh, not overcomplicating things. I think it's about using just like simple quality ingredients. You don't need to overcomplicate it. Um, again, quoting Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain, he said his favorite food is a, is a nice German sausage, a hoagie, and a little bit of mustard, and, and he's in heaven. You don't, you don't need to have a whole bunch of different techniques and ingredients to, to make uh, those quality ingredients shine. And then uh, I guess the third would be just like the preparation of it all. Some people, I think, find cooking daunting. They don't have enough time in the day. As a chef, you kind of learn what, what we call uh, mise en place, which in France or in French means everything in its place. And essentially, that's just the prep work you do to ensure that when it's time to cook, 
it's not stressful and you're not running around measuring out ingredients looking for equipment you have all of your prep work your your everything's purchased it's prepped ahead of time so when it does come time to cook dinner everything's there and ready and it's a little bit more enjoyable you can enjoy a glass of wine you can still talk to people and uh, put out a pretty cool meal i've been lucky enough to watch you create in the kitchen and it's you're very social like Mm -hmm. you, you don't I know some people when they're doing something they they can't really be sociable because they're they're focused on the task at hand but you kind of you kind of talk while you work does that is that evolve or is that something that you've always been blessed with I think it's evolved I, I, there are times where uh, as a chef we we say we're in the shit and things are burning and you got a hundred things on your mind and they're you don't have the capacity to talk to anybody but uh, I've been fortunate to uh, be a leader in the culinary world where I've had a lot of good chefs work underneath of me and, and I've kind of taken on this role of, of teaching and being able to step back and explain things, <clears throat> explain them through the techniques and how to do things and I think that has helped me be able to just kind of analyze it and be able to step back and, and explain it as I'm going and, and in turn kind of socialize. You have a calm demeanor though, like is that, did that come as a result of the of the schooling or has that always been you? I think it's just uh, it wasn't always this way there was a time where I was a, a screaming angry chef and if uh, an omelet sat in the past for more than 30 seconds and the server didn't pick it up I'd huck it in the garbage and we'd demand a new one because they we're always just pushing to ensure that every dish is perfect but over time um, and again working with a lot of people and just just kind of honing my craft and understanding that uh, not everybody reacts the same way to that kind of pressure that I've been able to kind of slow down and and uh, just kind of make it work for everybody. So the you've you've hired on the uh, the OC program like mm-hmm. uh, Chef Bernard mm-hmm. and uh, is there any egos involved there? I wouldn't say so. Chef, we're so lucky to have Chef Bernard Casavant. He's he's like the godfather of the culinary world in this area. He was one of the first credible certified chef to cuisines in all of Canada. So that's one step above a Red Seal chef. You have to have your Red Seal designation for five years. You go through a series of tests. Um, he's been in the industry for four decades. He's been in big hotels at the Chateau Whistler. He's had his own restaurants in Whistler. He was a culinary director at the OC. He opened Manteo. Um, so this is just an opportunity for him to really share everything that he's learned. Uh, and he's a very humble guy in that terms. He's very knowledgeable, um, and everybody around him understands that and recognizes it and just kind of shuts up and and just follows his lead. So it's it's nice, especially nice for the, the up-and-comers in the kitchen. We have a couple, a couple culinary students coming out of the culinary program working under myself and Chef B. Uh, we have a couple chefs in-house as well that uh, just kind of he just absorbs and, and just continues to teach them day in and day out. So it's pretty cool. See, I've, I've imagined this in my brain that, you know, you guys, once, once he agrees to come on board, mm-hmm. you have a cook-off. And it's like the lights are dim. And, you know, you guys just kind of sit across from each other, across the stove, and just duel. Like, that's just in my head. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, w- I would say it's more of a collaboration at this point. We sit down and, and we talk through menus this morning. We put out all of, the, all of the classes, the cooking classes, the both the hands-on and the demonstration for February and into March, and and uh, and we sit down and we talk through each dish and what ingredients we want to use and what's available in the in the region during the season and what flavors go together and what wines we're going to pair with each course. So, um, 
I would say it's more of a collaboration or a dance than it is a, a direct competition. Knife um, fight. There's no knife fight. No, no knife fights. <laughs> um, it, it does seem like you've you've really hit the stride, and and it sounds to me like these culinary classes you've just recently started offering, there's really been traction. Like it, it seems like the 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 populace was waiting for it, and I mean, mm. what a great feeder tube having this wonderful cookware store, mm. and then you know anybody that shows an inkling is probably going, wait a second, I can actually figure this out upstairs. Is that what you're saying? Like. And, but this has been a process. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I saw you a few times during the construction process. Uh, as with anything, there's delays. There's stuff that goes on. Was it tougher than you imagined building these dream kitchens? It was super tough. The vision was always there. It was always we we always had this vision and an amenity to the retail store where people can come in and they can actually get hands on with the product. They can come in. They can learn. They can see a chef and 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 how to make an omelet properly. Um, the, the, the facility there is nothing like it. Having the two different styles of classes, the, both the hands-on one where you put on an apron, you get dirty, you follow along with the chef, you create your own meal and the demonstration side of things or the chef's theater we call, which is you sit back, relax, you still follow along with the recipe. You're engaged with the chef. He's teaching you as you're going through the courses, but uh, more of a hands-off approach. Uh, so to take on kind of both facilities at once. Uh, all while running a, a very busy retail store uh, during the holidays, which was craziness, was a lot to take on. And, and uh, ideally, we wouldn't have wanted to line it up together, but bringing Chef B on and having the team we had in place, it we made it work. And the feedback has been has been crazy. Like, until you go in and see the facility, you just don't understand the scale. Just standing on the corner of Bernard and Ellis, looking at that brick building, until you get in and you see the kitchens and the designers have done such a great job of, of the decor and the lighting and, and all the audio visual that's into it. There's cameras in the stations where, uh, which feed to the TV so you can get a bird's eye view of what the chef's doing to really see the technique. The chefs are mic'd up. You can hear them very clearly throughout the whole facility. Uh, we're set up for virtual classes in the future. So instead of packing people in there from home, we can send you an ingredient list, a recommended product list. You make the dish at home um, with your family or, or whomever you're with. Um, and then the corporate side of things as far as like team building activities and community fundraisers and it's just such a purpose-built facility and uh, we've really covered all the bases. So as, as hard as it was, uh, we didn't cut any corners and it was for a reason and uh, we're super stoked of how it all kind of turned out. Uh, we'll be back in a bit with more uh, Chef Travis and more delicious talk here. Um, let's talk about our sponsors, D6 Print Studio, Lord, large format printers, print anything, menus if you so in, in want or need, um, anything. So uh, talk to D6 about your print needs. Uh, we also have our good friends at Pereira and rare and exceptional jewelry. Um, gonna, you know, gonna sit, maybe set up January, February is that time to ask that loved one about a ring, perhaps. To Corey, engagement rings. Try it out. I mean, Chef, are you uh, are you uh, engaged yet, or what's going on? There? I'm not engaged, um, but uh, I have been told about uh, Pereira, and have been told I should I should take a walk through it. So, all right, we'll see perfect. what the future holds. <laughs> we'll be back in a bit with more Chef. 
Okay, back back in the kitchen with uh, Chef Travis. So let's talk a bit about January. A lot of people have these uh, ridiculous resolutions. I mean, I can't even. I've already abandoned mine. But but let's say um, I, I know a lot of people struggle with uh, weight and they want to get better. And you know how to make um, you know how to make it good to eat. And, and when you're when we're pursuing these goals, and I think. That's a profound skill because there's great diets out there. I've heard great things about the Mediterranean diet. Um, whether or not it works, I have no idea. But it sounds delicious, but it sounds like meat and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. But is there any kind of tips or tricks or techniques from the kitchen that you can share with us? Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, I think it's important for everybody to internally look at what you're eating uh, for health reasons, right? Uh, but I'm also a firm believer, and 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 uh, and I would never put anything in my mouth or in my body that wasn't delicious or that I didn't like. So, I think there's definitely ways to be able to eat healthy, but also eat things that you still like. I think again, and I've said it before, it comes down to just like the quality ingredients that you're using, knowing where the ingredients comes from. Uh, there's just so much flavor in fruits and vegetables and protein that you know was raised properly that there's not a lot that you need to add to it as far as salt or added flavors or preservatives or or um, pre-packaged kind of meals. Um, so I would stay start simple and, and source a protein and a vegetable um, that you really like and just focus on that and don't add a lot to it. Citrus is a good way to kind of brighten up the dish, adding lemon or orange or grapefruit or thinly sliced apple to a salad to really kind of give it a whole nother dimension. Um, making your own dressings and vinaigrettes, just getting a high quality, again, olive oil or balsamic, adding a little garlic and lemon juice, and all of a sudden this your winter greens is transformed into a beautiful Italian wedding salad. Um, I encourage everybody to possibly eat vegetarian or vegan even one day a week. There's so many cool things that you can do with that. Um to not trick yourself but to to still be eating flavorful things uh without the the fattiness or the unctuous of the of the pork seven days a week um so yeah i would say quality ingredients keep it simple citrus and acids things to elevate the plates um try eating vegetarian once a week start there um, cut back on things like sugars. You're not having to add sugars to tomato sauces or spaghetti sauces or, or drinks. There's a lot of uh, just simple, straight, good-for-you ingredients that uh, I think can still taste good. Local producers, like I know that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a big part of the Lake House story. Have you got some local producers that you know maybe some people wouldn't even know about? Yeah, for sure. We work with... Um, uh, it's just a matter of me remembering all of them. We work with, with, with places like Donna Ray on uh, Ben Volen there, who grows all their own produce, which is awesome. We work with local butchers like Helmets and Alickmans and, and, and people who cure their own meats and sausages and, and stuff like that. Um, local microgreen, uh, the gentleman's name's Colton. I forget the name of his company, but he grows all his own microgreens, which are just beautiful. We get micro broccoli and cabbage and radish and... Um, items to both zhuzh up the the presentation but it actually adds a lot of nutrients and pepperiness and different again components to or flavors to a dish um a couple local fishmongers john down at codfathers he only brings in 
um, line caught sustainable seafood from around the world. So it's not mass um, caught or farmed or anything like that. And it, you do pay a little bit more, but again, the quality really shines through. Um, and I guess yeah. that, that's part of it, though, is this. I mean, it's I, I shouldn't call it a trend, but this this farm to table is really becoming a thing. When I was when I, I was over in uh, France and we were traveling around, I couldn't get over, you know, every meal was special. Like every meal was, it, you know, literally just from yards away. That's mm-hmm. where it came from. And that seems to be uh, there seems to be a, a new vision or a new passion to do that. Mm-hmm. I would agree so as well. And I think. And I don't, I don't know a lot about the Mediterranean diet, but when I think of Mediterranean eating and, and people eating in Greece and Italy, they very much so keep it simple. They're, they're grabbing tomatoes and olives and, and fresh produce out of the garden every single day. You go to the market, you don't see refrigerators everywhere. Literally everything is just fresh out because it's meant to be consumed right away. Uh, even you'll see meats hanging out, um, not in refrigerators. Um, the wine has no sulfite, so there's nothing added to it. It's just it's just a byproduct of what's come out of the, the earth. So I think that everyone can learn something from that. I did my own research with the wine, mm-hmm. and it turns out there's less hangovers uh, with those sulfites not in there. 100%. I personally have never been to Italy, but uh, apparently you don't. Yeah, you can just drink and drink and don't get hungover, yeah. which makes a lot of sense. And we're totally not advocating that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, we did the research. We did the grind. Mm-hmm just to make sure that everybody else was okay. Excellent. Yeah. So what what have you found is the appetite of people when it comes to these classes? Some must book out quicker than others. Totally. And how we've designed it, we wanted to be approachable to everybody. We didn't want to be pretentious and, and charge $250 for someone to come in and, and have a three-course meal. We wanted to keep it cheap and cheerful and... Uh, and offer classes for $95 or $115 where you're coming in and you're you're learning basic knife skills, how to choose the proper knife, what's the anatomy of a knife, um, why should you rock it instead of chop or slice, um, what knife to use for what job, how to break down a chicken, how to properly julienne or, or small dice something so that it cooks at the same time as something else that is maybe cut at a different size. Um, so I would say just the, the simple, approachable ones have been a big hit. Knife skills, pasta-making classes, uh, even wine education um, kind of is our, is our forefront, always selling out classes. And then there's a step above that for people that, um, that are kind of at that next level. So you take Knife Skills 101, you learn, again, the basics I just mentioned, Knife Skills 102, now you're breaking down a full chicken and you're filleting a salmon and you're maybe uh, carving a turkey or you're learning batonet, which is a bigger julienne cuts, uh, slant cut green onions, and you're getting fancier with your garnish and your fruit preparation and and uh, you can just continue to kind of go up from there. You know, carving a turkey, I never realized until you're actually pressed into duty of how difficult that is to do it right. I mean, mm-hmm. I have like totally massacred chicken or turkeys, but I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. So then the knife skills would give me, mm-hmm. or is that 102? Like, that, that's more of a 102 uh, kind of thing. I, I think 101 knife skills is for people that are even intimidated to pick up a knife in the first place. And just to get the basics down, with those basics, we create a beautiful meal, whether it's a stir fry with a salad, we'll pair it with wine, and and uh, we'll kind of show that 
the simple things can lead to more of a luxury kind of end product. So the the luxury products, would you say that the it, it, it's true in a lot of things, but the more you pay, the better it is. Is that kind of a an ongoing philosophy when it comes to the tools in the kitchen? Or I know you're kind of got that that whimsical look about you right now. It, it, is it? It's true in some things, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I think it, it is true in some things, but I don't think it is the underlining principle. I think that's it's all about quality, and a lot of the time quality takes quality to make, and it costs more money to make, so thus it costs more money to purchase. Um, but I definitely wouldn't look at just buying things because they're expensive, you know? You can get a good paring knife for $150, um, but if you don't have any paring knife, you can start out with a, with a decent paring knife for $80 and learn the skills and how to use it properly before jumping up to that top kind of price point. Because fundamentally, I think you're of the of the mindset that to just get people going, like get mm-hmm. get them into the kitchen to start, you know, failing and experimenting and, and then you, you start to figure out what you really truly want. Um, and I, I know for myself, anytime I've, I've had a, an, an occasion to see somebody really good at what they do in the kitchen and enjoy the fair, it's, it, it does actually start me thinking, okay, maybe this is something I should start looking at. Cause it's very creative. The, the, the function of a menu and then you add your own you add your own flavor to it your own signature but it, it seems like that's a it's a lifelong thing it's not just short term i guess no for sure and it goes back to it being an art it's like painting a picture or 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 building a car if that's what you're into it's what you like to do and you're passionate about it and there's a creative side to it you're creating something out of nothing and you're creating something for somebody else to enjoy, whether they're looking at it or they're tasting it. It gives them emotional connection. Uh, and especially with food, everybody eats. Everybody grew up eating. We spend time around the dinner table with our family eating. We remember dishes that our grandma or mom used to make in the day. So everyone can, can easily relate to food and to be able to kind of remind people uh, of, of those emotions or of those memories is, is pretty special. It's interesting how we look at food versus how the Europeans look at food because I, I do think uh, there's a great um, film, Michael Moore, called uh, Where to Invade Next, and he, he talks about France's version of food, which is an event. It's a time to share. It's a time to engage, a time to connect. And the North Americans, it's more like sit down, eat, and get out and start mm-hmm. working again. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like we've we're starting to borrow some more of that from, from the European countries and in saying that maybe we should have more than one course. Maybe we should actually start engaging more as a families because I think a lot more should happen at the dinner table than it actually does because it seems like we're grabbing stuff mm-hmm. and eating in front of the TV, mm-hmm. and I'm guilty of that too. Like, is that, is that kind of yeah, where... Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think that... Uh... I mean, even if we can take anything positive out of the last couple of years, uh, it kind of re- reset or kind of uh, uh, reminded everybody that uh, that our time is precious and spending time and being able to spend time with people is precious and uh, being able to sit down once a day and have a, a meal together, you get a lot of quality time there that uh, perhaps we're getting used to just kind of blowing through or blowing by. So uh, I'm all for it. More courses more food, more time around the dinner table. I think it's uh, I think it's beneficial for everybody. 
What was with the bread thing during COVID? <laughs> like that went off the chart. Like it people is, were, yeah. were baking bread in, in, was it just because it's a comfort food? Is that part of the reason or was it just the creation of it, I guess? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I still have people coming in. A lady came in yesterday and was like, hey, I want to make sourdough. <laughs> But I know nothing about sourdough. Like, where do I start? And it's like, why are you? Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's just about, yeah, creating something, something that everybody arguably loves, that you can just have a loaf on the table and cut it and put a little bit of butter on it. Uh, but also with the sourdough, it's like raising an animal or a creature like your starter is a living breathing thing that you have to feed and nurture which then if you take care of it properly it turns into a beautiful loaf of bread um and it and it's something so simple that i think that people eat daily that if you can create it yourself and save yourself a couple dollars in in the process then why not and it's del- and it smells delicious yeah. like your whole house 100 smells yeah. like sourdough for the day yeah that's a great day yeah yeah, and then I mean, I know in my house we make a loaf of bread. It doesn't it doesn't last very long, but uh, sure is enjoyed <laughs> while it's around. But it, but it literally like stuff around making bread sold mm-hmm. out during COVID, did it not? Totally, hundred percent. Like those mixers, those uh... the KitchenAid stand mixers, the Bannerton baskets, even something as simple as like a dough scraper, wooden spoons were in high demand, and uh, everyone just jumped on the train at the same time. I guess. I love that train. Let's keep that <laughs> yeah, train rolling. 100%. Well, listen, uh, it's been a great time. And I and I have to speak from experience here. Uh, Chef and I both had um, a day before Christmas when we were inviting friends and family to come share some some eats. And uh, I think Chef had more people coming to his house than he did to uh, the Madison household. So if you want to be more popular. <laughs> learn to cook. Learn some skills. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Chef, uh, great time, and we'll get you back on the show. But uh, good luck with the culinary classes. You don't need it, but uh, good work out there. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, and I encourage everybody, all skill levels, come down, check it out. Lakehouse Home Store on the second floor. Lakehouse Kitchens, two stunning kitchens. Whether you want to get hands-on in the kitchen and make the dish yourself, or you want to sit back, relax, drink a little bit of wine, and and watch the magic happen, is completely up to you. But, uh, yeah, come down, check it out. I'm on on the latter one for sure. Perfect. (laughs) 